Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome to The Edge Podcast, your weekly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business, making you a happier, healthier, and richer business owner. And here's your host, Brandon White. Hey, Zeb. Hey, Brandon. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? I am good as well. Uh, Thanks for the uh, chat. And I uh, apologize for uh, seeing your video so late. It was was, uh, very uh, thorough and I appreciate your process. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad you got it. I was watching some of your Instagram stories. I think it was Instagram and, and I saw you forgot your jacket. Where it looks like, where are you located? I'm actually in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, it's uh, actually a lovely snowy winter tundra wonderland out here today, which is uh, not great for late March, but oh, you take it when it comes and uh, it's just part of the gig of living in Minnesota. How about you? It's cold in Minnesota. Good God. Definitely cold. And uh, for better or worse, we choose to live here for some reason. You know, the, the summers make up for it. You know, the shadow proves the sunshine kind of thing. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it, it makes the, the summers better. You know, that trip down to, uh, to Arizona or Florida is just that much, uh, nicer in the winter. So, uh, that's, uh, some of the good pieces. Well, you're smiling. That's all that matters. I am originally from the East Coast. I can't stand the snow anymore. <laughs> we're we're in Half Moon Bay, Half Moon Bay, California, and it's here in Northern California. Zeb, we have a lot of microclimates, so it is. It can be. Yesterday it was 58 here at the house, and one mile into the Santa Cruz Mountains, which are between us and the other side of the Bay Area, yeah. it was 75. So it's fascinating. I was actually. To your point earlier, out there last week, and it was amazing to me how South Bay, you know, you're in San Jose, it's 10 degrees warmer, you, you drive 20 minutes north into the to the San Francisco proper, and it's chilly. It's, it's a lot chillier. So I, I definitely hear you on that. I'm sorry we missed one another. You could have come over here to our recording studio and we could have recorded this. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. I am definitely loving the post-COVID. Well, not post-COVID, but whatever flavor of COVID that we're in at the moment uh, version and meeting in person again. The denial part? The denial part. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the stage without getting too crazy on politics. I think it's just denial. I don't know. It's it's just not talking about it. Well, we're talking about legal IQ. I was excited when I read about your model one because I think how, how it can help business owners on a... I, I'm going to let you describe it. I It looks like sort of a freelance model, but can also help law firms or small law firms in helping them, I guess, grab revenue and put people to work who may not have work at the moment in that sense. So you can turn people off and on. And in the past, it's been hard for business owners to get an attorney and do it by case. I think there's some other sites out there that sort of help help that, but it looks like that's what you've come up with. Yeah, and thank you for the the kind words around that. 
So we actually switched to officially legal Q as the, as the name going forward. We, we, uh, have had some back and forth around that and are, are going with legal Q going forward. And, uh, we, to your point, yeah, we help people get access to attorneys that you just need a simple answer to, right? A lot of times in small businesses that you have, you know, an attorney maybe that you know of or you helped you incorporate or what have you, but you are afraid to reach out to them because you could see that as, you know, show up as a, uh, <laughs> you know, three, $400 bill uh, next month. And funny, quick story, side note on that. So I'm an attorney, my co-founder, Wagma Garwal, she's a, an attorney as well, you know, for our sins. But, uh, we, uh, we actually reached out to an attorney in Minnesota to help with some just regulatory questions that we had, right? We, uh, looked on their website, had a Calendly link to an introductory call. We're like, cool, let's do the intro call, see if we like them and want to see what we can, um, learn and see if it's a good fit. So I booked the Calendly and she and I were on for an hour. And had a good call, like thought maybe we could work with them in the future. And uh, the next day uh, in my email showed up a $460 bill. And I took a screenshot and sent it to Wagma. And I'm like, this is the exact thing that we're solving for. Because if two attorneys can get caught in the trap of, is this, do I have to pay for this or not? Like, Lord help the, the layperson that's in the midst of trying to ask a simple question as well. So... Honestly, it's, it's too complex and legal today. There's a lot of regulatory reasons. There's a lot of regulatory capture. There's a lot of just honestly historical reasons that legal hasn't been warming up to technology like other industries do. And it's terrible. Like it needs to change. And we are here to kind of help push that forward. And I think the pandemic has showed us that people today are now finally comfortable with talking to professionals using technology, right? People are using telemedicine to talk to their doctors. They're using their phone to talk to your therapist, right? I use BetterHelp. I love it. I talk to my therapist weekly. I've never met her in person. You know, it's always just on the computer. And and it's I, I find a ton of value in that, you know, and it should be that simple to talk to an attorney. And so... Any legal question you have will always be free. 15 minute consultation. You can ask anything from, Hey, I got a PPP loan that I still have questions about because it's overly complex. It's terrible for many reasons on the user experience side. What are my kind of next steps with that? Or it's, you know, uh, maybe an HR leading question. What are my, what things should I know if I need to fire this person? You know, what are my kind of uh, baseline things to. To think about with that. And if it's a good fit and you like working with them, you know, you can re-engage with them for a, a longer term thing. But the biggest pain point that we found with over a hundred interviews of attorneys and users was just that first step, right? How do I ask a simple question to talk to an, a licensed attorney in a way that won't A, be overly onerous and B, be free? So that's what we're solving for today. Well, going back to your story, that, that isn't that illegal? And don't they need you you to sign an engagement letter before they can just send you a bill like that? I mean, I would have never paid that bill if it wasn't clear that you were paying the bill. That's, I mean, That's for anything, a forget gray area. For, for, yeah. forget lawyers or anything. You you got to be upfront with people. You can't. I mean, I can imagine the look on your face. I know the look on my face would be delete. And sometimes I've just done that because I've had that happen where. It was actually an accounting firm 
and we were investigating whether we wanted to use them. And it was very clear, at least to me and my director of operations, that we were doing more of a get to know meeting. I wouldn't say yeah. we were really interviewing them. I didn't yeah. want it to feel like an interview. It was more a conversation because they need to see right. if we're a fit too. But it was very clear that there was no, hey, we're going to send you a bill for this. And then I, I actually got a bill for something like $900 because they said they had to do all this background work and or research on what they were supposed to be experts at anyway. And I basically told them, I said, well, you can send me the email where it says that you were going to charge us. Otherwise, I'm just going to hit quit, quit, keep hitting delete. Then they threatened to, I mean, this is, this is true story that this yeah, happens to business owners. And then yeah. they said, well, we're going to report you to the collection agency. I said, report me to the collection agency then. And, and then I'll just, then ironically in this conversation, I'm going to go get my lawyer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, hey. and it's, it's, I'd rather people be upfront with other people with that. With your model, it sounds like to me that you're in many ways a, I don't want to say you're a lead engine as a business model. It just, but you are a lead engine for a business model for lawyers and paralegals who may want to do freelance work or even big law firms that may want to utilize their people. I don't know how much that happens or not happens, but it, certainly freelance lawyers, it's a way to do a 15-minute consultation. And isn't the model in life anyway, give value right up front? And, you know, there's always going to be these people. When I worked at America Online, we had the people who would sign up for 30 days free and then quit. And then 30, that's called, we call them bicyclers. And they get on and off the bike. But yeah, there's yeah. always going to be those people. Yeah. But the majority are legitimately looking for someone. And if you build a relationship, is that really your model in that way? Giving the 15 minutes of real value. And then, and then there's a decision, I guess, where somebody says, after 15 minutes, we're going to have to charge X rate. You nailed it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that. And so we actually, we actually went into market with the assumption that people would want to just have an initial conversation with an attorney that's, you know, licensed in their jurisdiction and would be willing to pay for that upfront. And what we are seeing with the model, with that model rather is, you know, we would get everybody through the funnel really well. And then everybody would drop off at the paywall. And, you know, basically that told us like, Hey, like people want to, they, they like the value in this. They're seeing it, but everybody has the expectation that a consultation should be free. And. And on the other side of that, you know, we have uh, literally in our mission that it's it's core to us to get people access to an attorney, access to justice, right? Access to a simple way to talk to them. And so, the best way to <clears throat> the best way to do that is to make it free. And uh, that's uh, so we kind of flip the the model. And and uh, back to my earlier point, there's so much regulatory kind of um, t- red tape that you have to get through for all of these kind of legal tech models that it actually kind of de-risked us a little bit too, because there's some um, regulatory items that say that uh, like legal, an attorney can't share fees with a non-legal entity. So, you know, legal entities aside, like we're a C-Corp, right, as a company. And so we couldn't split that 
if you know we give the major majority of that to the attorney and we take some of that for our processing fees you know to help keep the business going and get them new clients we we literally can't do that under the current regulatory environment so we kind of flipped that and the attorneys now uh basically to your point pay us for generation of you know new potential clients and leads and so within that model we're about five to ten percent cheaper than anything else on the the market today and we are the ABA put out some statistics on this that say that with a non-exclusive lead service today, it's between about 8 to 10% effective. And with exclusive ones, it's anywhere between 18 to 20. So non-exclusive is when they give this poor soul's phone number to 10 other attorneys at the same time, right? And so if you're on the end of some of these services, you're going to get bombarded by 10 attorneys calling you, you know, in the exact same moment, which actually also happened to me once I was, you know, trying to get a mortgage, I'd use a service online that said, Hey, we'll talk to a couple banks. We'll let you know how that service gets back to you and we'll find you the best rate. And I'm like, cool, this sounds good. Literally, Brandon, I had uh, so many calls within the next half hour that I shut off my phone and didn't turn it on for a day because it was such a terrible experience that I called, got called by literally every single bank around the planet. And, uh, is terrible. And so a lot of users experience this today on the legal side too. So I say all that to say is our current kind of conversion to paying clients or, you know, potential lifelong clients is between 20 to 24%, depending on the attorney. So, you know, we're, we're a little cheaper. We got a better mousetrap and hopefully within that conversation, both sides are, are finding value from it. Well, I have a few questions. One, I'm going to work from most recent backwards. The sure. Statistic that you quoted, and and by the way, I think we tried, I was so hesitant, I was so hesitant, Zeb, to try this mortgage thing, but my wife and I, it just, it was, we, we I think we resisted for three years, and yeah. finally we were, at, well, one, as an entrepreneur, it is really hard. It doesn't matter. If you have $10 million in your bank account, and here, here. you don't have this regular income, here, it here. is incredibly hard to get a mortgage. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest pieces of advice for entrepreneurs or business owners who are going to become business owners is if you have a job and you think you're going to get a house in the next year, get the mortgage before you leave because right. it's insane. And I don't want to go off on it, but it's been really over two decades, two and a half decades for my wife and I, really for my wife living with a business owner, is it's just been so frustrating because you're like, I could pay this in cash. I'm just not doing it because I want to borrow the money to build credit. And why wouldn't I leverage money? But that's neither here nor there, sort of some background as to this little bait that's out there. So we, I think we did Rocket Mortgage and had the exact same experience that you did. In fact, I just got a text. This is over a year ago and I'm still getting text. Terrible, man. It's terrible. Yeah. It's horrific. And and what I'm going back to is that statistic with you, which is if your model is to mega blast the quotes, do I understand it right that it is better to have the potential customer pick that one person they want to work with manually? I'm using the word manually, but at their under their volition 
and their judgment, they pick that person, they have a one-on-one and the conversion rate's around 24% versus send that lead to 20, the customer gets this barrage of feedback and then the conversion rate is eight. Is that... This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years' experience in the real estate and lending space, and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know, because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271. 9086. And talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086. Now back to the show. Yeah, you nailed it. And it's just a better user experience, right? Like if you have a, a question, you can do text, voice, or video chat with an attorney on demand, right? I mean, it's as simple as that. And there's no, there's no hidden fees. There's no other ways to do it. Like if you choose that attorney, great. Uh, we're, we're happy. You're happy. If you, you know, want to do another consultation to find a different one or a second opinion, you can do that too. And so I think that's your, to your point, like the freedom where you get to choose, you know, who you're working with versus the hypothetical choice of 10 attorneys, but in pr- practicality, it looks like you having 10 voicemails that you have to sift through, you know, to try to find a, a frog to, to kiss to get your prints. Like it's literally, that's, that's the option today. And we think we can do that more simply. And people are smart, right? That you can, you can choose your attorney. And if it takes a couple different chats for them to figure that out, you know, that, that, that's on your terms. And I think that's the, the magic in, in uh, kind of the one-on-one consultations versus the uh, rod blast of of uh, what are some other competitors do. I think it's, I don't know, I don't want to get off on the marketing tangent, but uh, I think this goes back to a study that was done in marketing a long time ago, and people, sometimes they misquote it, but they use it, is that if you give a person more choices, they actually stop. And when you were talking, it just got my mind running here. The other place that this happened to me is when I used to look for part-time work on Upwork. Mm. And within minutes, I mean, it's clear that there's bots. And then your inbox is completely full. And then you paralyze. And in some cases, I've just said, forget it. I mean, you know, that can happen with anything. I think that's an interesting, an interesting phenomenon. But it is true that giving less choices is better. It doesn't seem intuitive at first because you you want to say, well, I want someone to buy the blue shirt, the white shirt, the khaki shirt, the green shirt. No, not really. The people buy blue and yeah. gray and khaki for the most part. But yeah. Yeah. how about the, you said something I'd like to hear your thoughts more about on the free model. Yeah. So there's, and I, I've been thinking about this for, a software company we have totally not in the legal space. It's a, sure. it's a, it's a software product that helps people find files they know they have, but can't find faster. Meaning if you were to look for a file that I sent you mm-hmm. six months ago in your email, that's still hard. 
It's very hard. <laughs> right. So yeah. you have to go through, I'm not going to go through the process, but I just wanted to say that that's what oh, I'm thinking. And in the SaaS business, and in many ways you are in the SaaS business because you're, you're in a recurring revenue mm-hmm. type of situation. There's giveaway for free. And what you described when people, when you were seeing your initial customers come through, they were going to the paywall and stopping, and you described it as they saw value. My question is this, and I'm I'm asking because I'm struggling. Not I'm working my way through yeah, with, yeah. W- with my co-founders. The same thing is: is it actually that they see value, or did they they just see something for free and they weren't going to pay anyway? And I'd be interested if you were willing to share. In general, not exactly, but statistics that said we were getting 500 leads for free. Now we see 50, but they convert more. And I'm going to use one example for listeners that where I learned this lesson absolutely the the hard way was first company we were trying to get. This was early internet. This is 1998. Okay. We were trying to get more traffic. Yeah. So we said, invite four friends and we'll send you a free koozie. Love it. Well, luckily we had an intern named Corey who I still stay in touch <laughs> with. He's like greatest kid in the world. That's amazing. But he fulfilled koozies for probably five weeks every time he was in the office three days a week. Wow. But those people who got yeah. that free koozie were actually not our customer. Whereas if we have said, pay $1 for the fishing koozie, we probably weed out. So what do you, what do you think based on this yeah. experience? It's a, it's a great, great question. It's, it's a very hard question because in some ways, to your point earlier, like the vast majority of people that use your platform, you know, have good intentions, right? They want to legitimately look for an attorney that's for um, XYZ thing. And, Maybe they have an intent to pay, maybe they don't. But the intent piece is, is the hard question. And to be honest, we are learning as we go with this. We just realized that we look at kind of where the drop off piece was within those kind of customer journey within our platform. That's the piece that everybody would, would drop off on. So if it is, and in some ways, you know, I think you can incentivize this a little bit differently because I think. The hardest piece is to like anchor them in the anchor people in the assumption that this is a value, right? There is something behind this. You're legitimately talking to a licensed attorney that took, you know, seven years of school, took the bar, which is a two day, the hardest test I've ever taken in my life, right? To get to this point of being able to answer your questions online, right? So how do you show people that value? And we, we've talked about this in different ways. One of the ideas we had was, you know, have the the free consultation always available, 15 minutes. You can always do that, but then have another option for a priced longer conversation, right? So if you have an hour long conversation and you pay 109 or 150 or whatever the, the, you know, kind of price point that we get to with that, still cheaper than, you know, some, some industry rates, but also kind of anchoring them in the price point that says like, oh, there is value behind this. Like, I'm getting the free version here, but also like I could do a paid version, which is X, Y, Z. And to your point, like 
people always choose the middle option of whatever the things are, right? So, you know, maybe you have like three options in there and then people choose the middle one. But at the same point, it, it's, it's, it adds complexity to both sides, right? Now we have to have the attorneys give us their, their bank info, the Stripe info. We have to have, you know, that set up plus the other side of that. And it's confusing on the onboarding pieces. And so we actually tried both these models and took them out for simplicity of, let's just give it to the users. It's always free. And on the attorney side, it's just, you know, a simple paper uh, consultation model. And so, so far, uh, we found that to be effective. But to your question about how do you, how do you kind of have that expectation for, you know, users that pay as turning into paying clients? It's, it's, it's probably the hardest question, like in the kind of dual sided market model that we have today. And we obviously want to and have a heart for kind of access to justice and using this as a tool to get people legitimate access to attorneys that don't otherwise know where to look or don't have a lawyer in your Rolodex, right? Like these are things that two thirds of Americans have an ongoing legal issue at any given time, like two thirds of all Americans, which is to say that in the last four years, rather. And so, I mean, that to me says that the volume of users out there is so great that, you know, all of these regulatory environments create that we just need to get people that free consultation. Attorneys understand that it might take a couple calls before they, a person that turns into a paying client. And that's kind of just the nature of, of the, uh, of the service, right? And we equate it to, on the attorney side, right? Like if you get a cold call from somebody at your law office, how many of those calls does it take before you find somebody that actually turns into a potential client or an actual client? And so that's kind of our, our model with that today. And so far we've, and maybe it's a, I'd rather be lucky than good, good moment, but uh, so far we've had some success with, with our current model. Well, you just took the wind out of my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that as business owners, we get impatient when we launch a new product or a new company, but even new product line, and we don't get the customers that we want right away. So we, we tend to go to free, which is, and I'm raising my hand here. I'm, it's an easy button because as soon as you go to free, the funnel opens up, but does it really? Because it costs time, money, bandwidth, in your case, probably not a ton of bandwidth in the sense that you're serving uh, processing power. The processing power is going on in the human mind in your model. But what do you think? Do you think we panic? I mean, I'm using that word. Yes, I, I, I 100% agree. And it's it's not so much like, it, at least on our end, you know, we we understood that the attorneys would pay us, right? So like on, on that end, it, so ours was more of a realignment of what side who gets paid or like who's paying us rather. But I, I 100% agree. And I think the worst, I was listening to a podcast the other day with um, Frank Schluman, I think his name is the CEO of, of um, I think it's ServiceNow and, or maybe uh, Snowflake. He used to be ServiceNow. And he said, one of the things that he just literally will not do is, you know, and these are big enterprise clients with hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts. He said the one thing that he will not do is give them a deal on, on making the sale. He's like, I will show you every single part of our process to migrate your data to us. I will show you 
how all of these other past customers have used us effectively. I will show you the ROI on how much you're saving with using us, you know, multi-tenant cloud and all these different things. But I will not give you a deal on this because the moment I do, you're going to talk to your other CIO buddies, you know, in the industries. And now we have to give 10% or 20% off to everybody. And it just cuts your margins to nothing. Right. And so I think that's the, that's the piece to your, to your point. Like the free model itself is, is not the way to do it. Or if it is, limit it. Right. Like we're going to give one free X or two free Y's, you know, based on some value that you're deriving from, from that person. Right. So if in our case, you know, we have a, an option for attorneys to introduce it to other attorneys and for every attorney that we get. You know, additionally on the platform, we'll give you a couple free leads. And so, you know, we have some margin loss in that because it costs us money on the CAC side to get those users onboarded and onto the platform. But, you know, we're, we're also in kind of expansion mode. So that's more important to us at the moment to have, you know, a steady supply of attorneys on the platform before we're, you know, worried about the CACs so much on that side. So I think to your point, two things. One is, Keep the faith, you know, keep the pricing model as is for longer. See if it's maybe a different marketing channel you can use. See if it's a different approach in your messaging to, to get people excited about, you know, paying for value. Second thing is, is check your product, right? Like, are people seeing enough value? Get a couple questionnaires out there to say, like, what would be your ideal price point for this? You know, see if there's truly enough consumers that are giving you seven or higher points on, uh, <laughs> on your uh, questionnaire that say, can you actually, you know, would you recommend this product? And if you're not seeing that, wait until you do. And then you know that you're at the point where you can effectively price that into that, that model. And then the third thing is don't give discounts before you have to, right? Like, I think that's the easy button for salespeople is to like, you know, you get someone really close to a close and then all of a sudden you throw on a 10% discount and then they're in. But it's a very dangerous drug. And once you get started on that, it's going to be industry practice after that to do that. And so I think you just have to be very old the line on, uh, on, on your, your stance with that and get more market data before you, you choose the easy button to your point. The other thing that I, I don't know. What do you think? I like the model. There's been so many different types of models online for, for businesses that they'll say for 1995, you get these four features. But for $39.99, you get these features. And for $199, you get these features. And I saw a, a business recently that I signed up for. I think it was actually a podcast recording or editing. I forget. I've been we've been looking at other things besides besides Zoom and which are just better for recording. If we can't do it in studio to, yeah. to have the best thing. And there was a model where it was just the free version. They did have a 15 day free, which almost in some of these products, you know, 15 days isn't really enough to get going. In your case, yeah, 15 minutes, it's full feature. The lawyer is going to give you an answer and they're going to learn themselves if they give the business person or anybody an yeah. answer that works and they convert more. Then it's, it's a learning process for them and they have to pay for that lead from you anyway. So they're incentivized inherently to deliver a ton of value in 15 minutes to get that longer. Or 
they're delivering value, but they're also vetting that customer. I mean, is the case yeah. worth it? I, oh, hey, I think we can sue XYZ. And, you know, a lawyer in general, yeah. they always need to hear more, but can start yeah. to understand like, nah, hey, you got nothing here. I understand you're upset, but move on. Yeah. But yeah. the model in full, full featured allows the person, the customer to actually try it. I think it becomes challenging in companies where you have a lot of processing power. Mail, I'm going to use MailChimp. I mean, Ben Chestnut recently sold that company. I want to talk to him about it because I really want to understand. They gave, I mean, his whole model, and they didn't raise any money, was free. And, yeah. and free up to a thousand subs or something, I think, yeah. still to this day. Well, you're giving away a lot of free processing. So the economics have to somewhere on the back end measure out. But I, I like this. What do you think about the approach of giving? It's probably in your case, as I'm talking it through, I'm like, well, you're full featured, but giving the full features versus this incremental feature model. I think it's, uh, it's a great question, and it kind of depends on where the product life cycle is, right? If it's if it's really early stage, and well, if it's early stage, I think you do give it for free up front. If it's later stage, and you understand the value in it a little bit better, right? Because it's I think you have enough customer base to appreciate. We have X amount of paying customers. We're just kind of in growth mode to get to Y. Then you can be a little more nuanced on it, but product led growth is, is, you know, people enjoying using your product so much that they are in house at a company and say, Hey, boss, like, I think we need another hundred licenses for this thing to get bigger and better. And they're kind of your spokespeople. But in terms of where people in, they need to have a full fledged version of using it, right? Before they're able to see, you know, kind of expand out the, uh, the net that way. And honestly, if, if the product value is there and you can define a window for when you can effectively deliver the value to the end user, to your point, the two weeks isn't enough to test out the software on that side. So maybe they should bump that to 60 days, right? So then you're actually starting to use it in your ecosystem of your daily drivers. And within that, it's a bigger pain point to to switch to another cost or, you know, switching cost is so high rather at that point, you know, in the, in your process that it's just more worth it to you to pay for it. And so I completely agree that I think, uh, you got to give people enough time to realize the value of what the value prop is for them. And then ultimately, even if it's a longer sales cycle, you know, to get them onboarded to a paying version of it. I think a lot of times the people that, that view companies that are more giving or more, I don't know, more flexible on their initial approaches, you build up a lot of goodwill during that time, right? Like you, you build in a lot of, Hey, this company isn't trying to nickel and dime me for, you know, every little XYZ part of this process. I want to, I enjoy using their product and you're going to have a better sentiment to towards that company. And so I think as we come into that, this new, not new, but the modern age of of product led kind of discovery and, and product led growth holistically, you need to have some champions, right? Like you need to have those hundred people that are going to shout it from the rooftops 
And unless they have a full in-depth version of your application or your SaaS product or whatever your widget you're selling them, they're not going to be able to appreciate that and they're not going to be able to sing it. So I recommend giving them a flexible, free use of the whole thing. And that's, that's, that's my stance. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree. I think as long as the, you, in the beginning, you're going to have to, if you have processing power, you're going to have to suck it up and you're going to have to figure out how to finance your way. That's a good segue. This is your first solo. I mean, you worked for, did you work for Medtronics before this? I did. Yeah. So how, how, how do you get from, I mean, you, it look, looked like you had a good, solid, progressing career <laughs> from looking at your job titles, moving up Medtronic. And then you go from that to starting your own company. That, that's a big leap. How did that happen for you? Yeah. I, it's a, it's a journey for sure. Basically, I, so lifelong developer, you know, I love, love, um, all things technology started with websites, kind of the, the lamp stack side of things, and then moved into web app or to rather, uh, mobile apps. And so pre Medtronic had a startup with uh, a location based couponing app. This was like 09, a couple years after the iPhone came out. So everybody was like, why would I give you my location data? That's so creepy, you know, whereas today it's not an issue at all by any means. <laughs> I mean, it's an issue, but everybody is, here's my firstborn kid, here's my social, whatever. And so, you know, we were a little early, but uh, basically had a, uh, a enough of a value prop there where we had a little exit on that. And um, what does little exit mean? Because we people talk about that. I'm not asking you for exact number. No, you, yeah. And any win, yeah. by the way, is a big win. I here, selling here. a company, even if you sell it for fifty grand, yeah, is sort of gives you this realization to the fact that you can actually sell something. No, that's a, a great insight. And ninety five, ninety seven percent of startups fail. I think is the the current metric. So. I mean, it's even if you get your money back, like that's a win. You know, you're leaving the casino even, that's a win, right? Which is probably a close analogy in a lot of ways. But uh we we ended up white labeling it for a marketing firm. And so they just used it within their own product line after that. Can't be too specific on the on the on the numbers, but But you didn't was, get a G five. Nah, you know, I had to go with the G three. It's oh. uh, a little, you know, not not quite as large on the sides, but okay. it, it's I don't know if GT is three is a thing. It is. It's a yeah. But it, okay. But great. you it, it, yeah. There was G one G. I think through G six now. C six fifty. But anyway, you got you made some money, broke even, made some money that you didn't lose it, and you got paid to have the experience. And I just think, and I'm really grateful for you sharing that because there's these stories out there in people's minds that. It's just this, oh, I had the exit. You know, I've had two exits. One, really good, got me right here <laughs> to a house in Half Moon Bay and a lot of other things. And then I had a second one that quite candidly was a save. And right. and I don't want to belabor Wait, this, but I do want to talk about this because I think for business owners, it there's so much, we're so independent 
Mm-hmm. But we're still so influenced by the pressure, not that we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, but by reading what's possible unlocks this opportunity that you could do it too. And then you were obviously in general type A people, even if you're an introvert, yeah. you're still trying to get towards this right. goal. And if, if you don't make this windfall that the media has built up as the success, you almost feel like a failure if you broke even or made a little bit of money and got paid to get all that experience to take it mm-hmm. to the next one. And I was on a phone call with a very successful person that we were looking at. Actually, it was to acquire one of the, our so, uh, software company that I had co-founded. He was the advisor to the private equity firm. Okay. I'm not going to say his name, but very successful tech yeah. entrepreneur who's known for one or two things. And what people don't know is that he did four other things that didn't work. And he said to me on the phone in a, now it's always easier to say it in a candid conversation than when Mm -hmm. you've already made some money. So maybe for me, it becomes easier because the first one did work out. The second one was, well, there was a bunch of other ones that didn't even make it to the business stage, but I got to a save because he nonchalantly Zeb on the phone says to me, we were just talking and I was talking about background. He said, yeah, um, you were there during that dot-com. I had this e-commerce business that I was the CEO of and we got out of that one, but that was a save. And I said, save? He said, yeah, Brandon, that we were losing tons of money. We got bought, broke even and got just getting out, not burning. Right. Our burn rate was the win for everyone. Not because we screwed it up, just because the market that we said wasn't there. And right. I just think there's this pressure, Zeb, on business owners to say, if you didn't get the G5, that you were a failure. And I don't think that's the case. In, and maybe that's because people like you and I didn't get the G5 yet and are rationalizing it? Or is it because... Fair question. Uh, yeah. What do you think? I, I love it. Everybody sees startups as being this sexy one-way ticket to fame and fortune and it to your point right that's that's the media flavor of it you know everybody watches the facebook movie and and sees oh yeah they have struggles but the struggles actually are kind of fun and you know look at these cool character developments as you get through that process but at the end of it like there's a lot of blood sweat and tears that go into every single venture and if at the end of that process you've learned you know how do you go to market how do you develop a product how do you enable access to whatever you know value chain you're unlocking? That that is invaluable experience to, to your point to get paid to do on your terms. And at the end of it, if that experience makes you X much more valuable to your either next venture or to a company that sees your rap sheet as you know leading product for an early growth stage company, that's that's incredibly valuable. So you know whatever your next steps are. It shouldn't, you're not defined by what is the number of zeros at the end of your bank account at the end of that venture. You know, you're defined by your experiences that you've had during that time. And hopefully, you know, if you're depending on kind of the industry you're in, like if you can make the world a little better place in that process, 
that's that's the journey is worth the uh, the price of admission, you know. So I think I love your your sentiment behind that. And if anybody's listening that's going through a similar struggle and you know seeing that at the end of their journey that they got out with a a small win, like that is a massive win, and you should be so proud that you're one of literally three percent of companies that have done something that didn't fail, right? And don't consider yourself a failure, like. Use it on the court for the next one, and uh, I think that's uh, that's a great message to tell. I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, and there's a hundred plus games. I'm also like the Giants, nice uh, base, baseball, and you know there's a hundred plus games in that season, and they lose. I mean, the Warriors lost last night. To, I'm really upset about it, but the point is, is that even great teams lose, build that, use that experience, and they and they. Come back. So let's come back to your story. You do a startup. It's a marketing software company. You get a little exit. They white label it. You probably throw off some money, but then you go into big corporate America. What were you? Was there some scars that you had and you said, okay, I'm going to go do this or what goes through your mind? Yeah. So I had a little, little stop off between them at a law school. So, you know, that's glutton for punishment and, uh, and truly, Brandon, my my goal is to use technology for for conflict resolution and for finding simple ways of using it to enable access to justice. And that's that's core to who I am. And I figured learning about how to use conflict resolution in a, in a helpful way is is what I'm going to learn through law school. So um, that's that's what I used on that front. And then afterwards, I. So it's for two reasons. One, I wanted to see what a startup looked like down the road a little bit, which is another thing I recommend for people to do is if you have the possibility to see kind of some of the, some of the value chain things that you learn in a big corporation, right? Like procure to pay or order to cash. Like you just don't see those until five to 10 years out in a startup. And in a lot of ways, some of those, especially if you want to take your startup from, you know, zero to one, but one to X beyond that. You really do need to have some of those kind of um, uh, corporate chops to to see what that next level looks like. And so, started in um, compliance over there. So was you know fresh minted lawyer had the technical background. Started in compliance, and I literally my first job was to. This was when Obamacare just kicked off, and so I literally read all 1200 pages of the Affordable Care Act. So if you guys ever want some light beach reading, you let me know. I got you. And uh, basically use that to see what the technical implementation was for Medtronic. You know, what are the T&E requirements? What are the different aspects that you got to keep accountable to the Medicare, Medicaid, all the fun things with that? Trial by fire. My next role was internal audit. So I learned how to like I mentioned earlier, a lot of those value chains, a lot of the cybersecurity pieces, and a lot of um, just risk management, risk mitigation, what controls do you apply to these different models. And my final role there was to lead analytics for corporate strategy in the channel management department. And basically within that role, my job was to try to use data to go more direct in emerging markets. It's this massive problem, especially in emerging markets where you have to go through a bunch of middlemen to get to the place where the product itself isn't less than, you know, 20,000% higher than what we're selling it for in these markets. So travel to a ton of emerging markets globally, saw some really creative solutions on how to implement that. 
And that's kind of what got me thinking, you know, what other industries have that middleman problem? And it's, it's legal, you know, like if you're going to do the SAT word problem, healthcare is to access to therapies as uh, legal is to access to justice. And we, uh, you know, started coming up with a problem statement around what that could look like, interviewed literally a hundred attorneys, hundred users, got an idea around the game plan to do so. And then built out the MVP product, found somebody on Fiverr who was just truly brilliant on the user experience side. And then built out a MVP with a company that humbly tried to headhunt me from Medtronic. And then I'm like, Hey guys, I'm working on this side project called LegalQ. Like, what's the side project? And told them about it a little bit more. And a month later, they're like, can we be your equity partners in this? It's a development firm called Inspire 11 out in Chicago. And today they're CEO. And founder Hans is on our board and basically uh, they developed out our initial MVP of it. And I did the nights and weekends shift for about a year and a half. And uh, last summer we got into Techstars, which enabled me to, to jump ship from Medtronic to do it full time. And then uh, been off to the races since, just kind of growing the product, growing the team. Uh, I've been super lucky with just the quality of, of co-founders and, and teammates that uh, we've had and and uh, that's where we are today. How did you finance your way through law school after that startup? Lots and lots of student loans. I candidly still have over hundred grand in student loans today. Probably will till I die. But well, I don't um, know about that. Legal Q could could make some money. I mean, that's the bet here, man. <laughs> that's that's what I'm hoping for to pay off my student loans. But truly, it's so two things about that too. Um, a, it's atrocious that the system is doing this. B is everybody thinks that, not everybody, a lot of people think lawyers equals that golden ticket, right? You again, fame and fortune. Once you get your JD, you can make whatever you want. But there's this kind of, it's kind of like a bimodal distribution of, of attorney salaries, right? If you're in the top two to 3% of your class, you're making three, 400K a year at big law. Like life is great. There's this kind of, that's, that's the big, if you will, like bump on the right side. And there's a trough in the middle. And then on the left hand side, there's actually 40% of attorneys make between 45 and 75K a year on the back of 200K in student debt, right? Like think about that. I mean, how do you, how do you get out of that mess if you're making 50K a year? That's going to take a lot of time to, to take that back. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons we're helping both sides is I am an attorney, like for my sins, you know, and, I understand the the pain points in that process too. And so I, I think holistically, the fact that I was able to pause on my student loans, you know, during COVID here has been a big impact for the reason why I'm able to do a startup today. You know, if I don't have to pay the 800 bucks a month that I was paying pre-pandemic a month, like that gives me a lot more runway in my personal burn rate to be comfortable with with doing a startup. And, you know, I don't, think that everybody should be so high leveraged, if you will, in their, you know, personal life of, you know, doing, going to law school and, and doing XYZ thing. But at the same point, you know, without that uh, kind of moratorium on the payments, I probably would have not been able to get where I am today, which is, I've never thought about that before right now, but that's a really interesting part of the, the journey. Well, how do you, did, were you saving up at Metronic this your bank account to say, okay, I'm going to give myself 24 
months of runway or did you get to a spot you get in te- tech stars give you some money but it's not enough money to go have 12 months of runway from what i understand so how do you what went through your mind that you said i'm going to put in my resignation letter to to Medtronic and go full time and how much do i have runway do i have to get there yeah so i, I think between what i put in and Angels and Techstars, we raised probably 450k in pre-seed. So, you know, that, that was kind of our war chest to get us the past two and a half years worth of runway, you know. So we've been very lean and mean. To be honest, I've taken, I make probably a quarter of what I did at Medtronic, you know, today and just part of the gig of if it's a, your passion, you got to see it through and you know, we make it work. It's, uh, I think our burn rate right now is, it, and it fluctuates a little monthly, but around 40K a month. So, you know, we're, very we're, keeping it, we're keeping it lean and mean. To be honest, we have some, you know, our CACs are probably the best in the industry in terms of what we're able to do from an SEM side. Uh, we have a truly incredible world-class SEM marketer named Anthony Brunetti. He joined our team last, last summer. As a when, full-time person? As a contract kind of person to help, but he has equity and, you know, he's, and, and he's the doing the, it. this is traditional organic SEO work. No, it's, uh, paid, paid, paid at, paid ads. Yep. So you're doing it on SEM. Facebook, just Instagram. Google right now. What's that? Yeah. Uh, just Google right now. Oh, Google. Um, yep. We found that to be our best channel and to be. Candid, like our CACs are an order of magnitude cheaper than they were last summer. We were using a firm out in LA. I don't want to name and shame. Yeah, but sure. We don't want to, uh, I mean, yeah, they just people are great. different fits for different people. Yep. Yep. And was not as effective as we would hope. And Anthony, uh, I met him on Clubhouse actually, ironically, last summer when that was more of a thing and kind of told him about the vision and the team. And he got really excited and I learned more about him and I, he's just a big sweetheart. New York guy, kind of, you know, very proactive, uh, in, in getting stuff done. And, uh, and he, t- I'm like, you want to take a look at what we're working with? And he takes a look. He's like, these people should be in jail. Like, this is terrible. Let me help. He's like, give me two months. And, you know, which is a leap of faith. This guy I just met the week before. I'm like, hey, all right, let's do it. You know, and he, uh, within two months had lower CACs down literally 700% from what they were the previous. That's From basically guess, optimizing so. your ads, we don't have time to go into that whole strategy yeah. today. But basically, optimizing your Google Ads to work better. Correct, and a couple other different channels within within that. And so, yeah, we you know within that. When you say other uh, channels, are you talking the call channel, uh, phone channel in Google, or, or other advertising in the Google eco- ecosystem? Yep, yep, just all the holistic products within Google that we weren't using at the time. To be honest, I don't know what specific ones we have as, as the Well, there's a lot that people don't use that, I mean, some people don't use Google Business. It, Google Business does it. You don't claim it. You can use Google Maps. Mm-hmm. We see Good point. a, just so that you don't have to reveal, I don't want your competitors to know everything about you, but the, you know, for us, it's, it's, we get an enormous amount of traffic for a stinking podcast on Google Maps by Amazing. optimizing Google Maps. Now, 
there's some things and some techniques you've got to use to be able to do that correctly. But that's the magic of these things that are at business owners' fingertips. And in the big marketing firms, quote unquote, they just don't get into those details necessarily. And I think, you know, what, how you found Anthony is very similar to what your model is at LegalQ, which is this isn't a blast, get 50 million SEO or SEM marketers out there and they all inundate you. It's meet someone, talk, and if it's a fit, make it work. So you, you have revenue. And this is something I've been militant about from the beginning is I will not flip the switch on charging people until we're seeing value on both sides, until the NPS scores show us that people actually enjoy using it and are, are getting value. We're not going to charge people. And so how are you getting NPS scores just for listeners who may not know how yeah, that works? Um, on the uh, website. So it's the attorneys use a web app since they, you know, it sucks to text out six paragraphs of legalese. So we gave them a keyboard and mouse interface, you know, to use it with the web app. And there's a, a, a tool that is called AppQs, which we use. It's a, a third party kind of user onboarding system, which we can just integrate pretty simply into the, to the code. And then they have like a builder. You can build out how to onboard people pretty simply. And within that, they have an NPS score kind of module that you can just throw in. So it's basically drag and drop into your current web app. And we, uh, we use that over time to just start seeing when are we seeing value and it's a simple question is would you recommend this product to to your colleagues and there's a zero to ten score anything that's above a seven is a yet like a a positive force to show that people are so you just take however many people are above seven as your numerator and your denominator is how many people have had the survey and if you have you know an nps score of you know that shows that not a majority but at least we call it 30 to 40% of your users are would actually use this product and, and refer it to a friend. Then you know you're on the right track. And um, that's when, when did you realized. get that? I don't remember the exact date. It was about a month ago. So, so it's taken two years. Taken two years in market with the current kind of flavor of the, the product, probably about nine months, I'd say. And we didn't measure the NPS the whole time. So we started that probably, I don't know, six months ago, maybe. But since then, you know, it's taken legitimately that amount of time to get, listen to the feedback that we were hearing, get the customer kind of value set to the place where they were legitimately seeing that value from it. And it's a struggle. It's a slog because you have 30 competing priorities for engineering resources. How big are you as your team? We have including uh, contractors, of course. Yeah. So for engineering, our CTO, Thomas Hornbeck, he's truly, truly brilliant guy, PhD, computer science, raised 25 million on his first startup, actually in YC right now, uh, with another company up co-found. And he's from Iowa and he's Vietnamese. So he moved back to Vietnam a few years ago. And so our engineering team is there. We have five engineers out there, two full stack, one QA, one UX, one lead and Thomas. And they are literally the best developers I've ever seen in my life. Like wow. I can code in, in seven languages, but these guys can ro- code circles around me, truly. And so we got really lucky with finding him. He was a Techstars uh, mentor and got introduced that way. And But, you know, we have bugs. We have fires to put out. We have 30 different other competing priorities in a product roadmap. And so just trying to define 
which of these priorities are actually customer driven, whereas opposed to what do we think the customer wants, you know, and then throw that against the wall and see what sticks. But it takes time. It really does. And to your point, like on the patience piece, like you have to be patient about, <laughs> you know, not going to free, but you also have to be patient about making sure that there's value there when the attorneys do uh, or when your customers do rather see enough value to start paying you. And so maybe, maybe I waited a little bit too long. And to be honest, I probably did. What's the old saying? Like, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, like you launched too late and maybe I probably did, you know, wait a little bit too long on that front, but at least now, you know, we know where the value is and can feel comfortable about sticking with that value prop. Takes you two years to get here. Did you want to quit? Oh, every day. Yeah, it's terrible, especially during the pandemic. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, divorced from my, my ex. Like we're, we're still friends today, but I have two kiddos, you know, in that process. And so, you know, there was a lot of times during the thick of COVID where it was just me and these four walls, you know, and you don't talk to anybody or see anybody physically for maybe up to a week at that time. And it's the hardest thing to do to separate your personal psyche from the negative things that you hear every day about your startup, right? It's customers yelling at you, VCs telling you, this is the worst idea ever. Why would you pursue this? Customer, uh, or, uh, you know, team infighting that you got to calm down. And then also you have to wear the like shiny face that says, oh, I burn rate. We're a month and a half out. We got this. Don't worry. And so you do internalize a lot of that. And I think it's the the hardest thing to do is to not have a community around you. Like if you don't have a therapist, get a therapist because you need an outlet outside of, you know, just your teammates and your co-founders that you can do with that. Or just join a community that is with the other startup founders because until you go through it, it's you just don't appreciate how rough that process is, right? You've gone through it twice. You understand the... Well, just to be clear, I've gone through it probably 22 times. There, I didn't there you tell, go. 22. We didn't talk about the <laughs> the the ideas that became yeah. that became didn't make it to product. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's brutal. It, it is, is terrible. It, it, it's brutal, and I I want to have you back on to talk about. And I'm really grateful for you talking about that you have a therapist and and I don't want to. I think we do another show on that, and you can sure. unpack that. I will tell you. And listeners, quickly, the only saving, not the only, I got a lot of saving graces and I'm really grateful for what I've had and the people around me and especially my wife is I have a master's in psychology with a concentration in counseling on top of the other degrees I have, probably because I need to have therapy through it myself. And Mm. that that doesn't, that's not the best solution. You, You should have someone to talk to. I was thinking, I was thinking about it when you were talking. And one of the things is I'm I'm a member, we had this thing called the entrepreneur dinner club when I was in business school and it would meet on Saturday nights. We'd get together with people who wanted to be entrepreneurs or were business owners. Mm -hmm. And just having that discussion was helpful. I had another group, but it stopped on COVID and it sort of started up, but it was iffy with some people here in Silicon Valley over in Palo Alto. And and that really helped. And then I think the podcast for me, to be quite honest, is I get to talk to people like you and not do an interview, but 
just like, hey, let's have a discussion. I miss not doing it in person because there's there's that human connection that happens in person that's very hard. And and I am a remote team advocate. Having said that, people would be crazy to deny the connection that humans have when they're together. And I think that you you really got to have a group. And I've done this, started this show with a, a lady on Fridays here on the edge called On Business that probably spin off into its own show. But just having business owners to talk to one another openly and have a candid conversation. I understand some people just want to get press and that's fine. But having that that dialogue because the inner struggles that go on is they're just really hard. I saw a lady speaking of that that's just on my mind. She wrecked her bike. She's a Irish national championship. I'm a road biker. And she got hit nice. by a car and yeah. she's coming back and she did it some people did a GoFundMe for her because in general, sort of like your stats, which people just shake their head at. Yes, there's professional cyclists like Peter Sagan who make four million dollars a year. And then right. there's everybody in the back of the Peloton that make yeah. eighty. And then there's yeah. women who are pros who are making twenty eight thousand. And, you know, yeah. dedicating their lives to this to this pursuit. Yeah. And they did a GoFundMe anyway. She posted because she just really wrecked her knee and her wrist. And she went to the doctor yesterday and she posted, and then she posted another post this morning that said, Hey, look, people have asked me, you know, how are you keeping your shit together? Yes. Like I'm not keeping my shit together. I'm only posting when I have a moment of my shit together so that I can talk. And I think that's the story of entrepreneurship or, and, and I don't, I don't even like this entrepreneurship word. I like, you're a business owner. Entrepreneurship is getting, and it has been for decades. It is to me, it's becoming everybody is an entrepreneur in their own way. There's there's really a difference between what is perceived out there as entrepreneurship and sold as entrepreneurship and being a business owner. Like yeah. you got the product market fit you're doing. I'm not cheapening yeah. that process because That's fair. however I was built, I sometimes I try to figure it out. I'm like, why do I keep doing things from the beginning, like from the idea. Why can't I just go buy? I had some, I think one of the flipping companies, I, we had somebody on on the podcast and I went on there. I was like, I just buy one of these companies and just run that. But there's just something in me that likes that challenge. But it is, it's ugly. Very ugly. Yes, I uh, empathize. So you, wanted to qu- so you wanted to quit. What do you do when you, what do you, what is your tool or what do you do when you're, you just say, I'm going to throw in the towel, F it? You know, it's, it's a combination of things. It's, uh, some healthy, some unhealthy. You know, I try to exercise a little bit more, which would be when you can, like you just have that terrible day, probably too much drinking, if I'm honest, uh, along that journey. And, uh, that's something you got to keep in check really closely because that can get out of hand quick. But part of it is just having a mission, having a mission that you know will better the world. And this is the reason that I'm uh, like on this planet is to do this one thing. And, you know, with, if you have that, you can do anything in life, right? Our mission is to enable access to people to get access to justice. If you have a mission that's beyond you, beyond like this thing that you're trying to do and that can be effective and you have a legitimate chance of doing that, 
it will take you through the depths of despair to whatever you need to do to make that happen. And it doesn't have to be profound of, you know, getting people access to justice. It could be, I want to make the best damn toaster possible. And I know I can do it. And here's the reasons why. And we got two months of runway. So let's see it through to the end of that time. God bless, you know, do that thing. But ultimately, if, if you, and it's, it sounds so corny to take it to that level, but it's true. Like if you have a mission and a drive that's beyond what you're doing and beyond you, and you can get a team that's excited about that and eventually get investors excited about that and eventually get, you know, access to not just the U.S., but everywhere in the world, because the globe is 73% using a civil law system, which means that it starts with, you know, old Roman law, which is Napoleonic law, which is everything under the sun has a rule that you apply your legal case to, which is a lot more advantageous for the technology that we're using versus the common law system, which, you know, thanks UK, us in the Commonwealth countries are, you know, struggling with today. You have to go back 500 years of jurisprudence to get to where you are. It's just seeing that opportunity, right? And understanding how much of an impact this can have in the world broadly, while also, you know, just having the dedication to see it through, you know, just getting so numb to the fact that these are all these negative externalities that are happening to me internally right now that, I mean, you, you do need outlets and it, I thousand percent have cried myself to sleep a couple times during that process legitimately. And, uh, it wears on you, but just having the resolve to say that this is the mission, this is why I'm here right now to do this one thing and do it well, will get you through a lot of bullshit that you have to deal with on your day-to-day. Well, I appreciate you sharing all this. I'll leave you on a more positive note that yeah, <laughs> the uh, I know that your model works. I, I worked at a venture firm with a guy, Dan Yu, who is, I've been friends with since we started at that venture firm forget what year it is, early 2000s, after I had bought my company back and sort of got it going on an autopilot, so to speak, really hired other people to run it. But Dan was a co-founder in a company called ReliaQuote, which was started in the late 90s, which was a lead engine for insurance agents, specifically life insurance. And they sold it for, I don't even, it's so long ago, but I don't know if I'm supposed to say or not, but it North of $5 million that is a life-changing event when you get that amount of money. There's this FU money idea. And then there's actually, if you've got $3 million in your bank account and you're in your 40s or very early 50s, the math works. The math works that you, you can do okay. My point in saying that is, is that you're... And this is the truth for most people out there who are in business... There's models that work. I mean, if you're inventing a toaster oven that you're going to put in the console of a car, that probably isn't going to work quite as well. And that's just fact. But most of the time you can do it. And in your business with LegalQ, you're in a business that is fundamentally works. If you can adjust your CAC and you, there's probably an ARPU number that works and customer lifetime value, then it's just a math equation. At some point, it literally is a math equation. It does take a minute to dial it in, but I think there's definitely, I love your model. I've been doing lead generation since 1996 on the internet. It works. Getting business owners, and this is about business owners, but all people access to the ability to have a fair legal opinion in a intimidating world of legal 
and lawyers and not understanding and getting not getting hit with a four hundred dollar bill. It, that can be life changing for some people, and even business owners who are in business making seven figures in revenue, not getting hit with a multiple thousand dollar fee, or at least knowing what that is going to entail. It's just life changing. I can't tell you how many people I've met, and I nonchalantly, nonchalantly say, "Oh, well, my lawyer," and they're like, well, "I don't even know where to start to get the lawyer." And I think Legal Q offers that. So I think you're on a good track. What does your day look like as a business owner now, having been in it two years, from when you get up to when you hit the rack? Yeah, and thanks for the kind words, Brandon. That means a lot. Uh, truly. I uh, I start with uh, a lot of uh, French press, so big fan of that. Sorry, my mic is a uh, <laughs> that gets me through my uh, morning and early afternoon, and a lot of it. What time do you get days. up? So I'm kind of a night owl. Go to bed around one or two. Get up around eight, eight thirty, somewhere in there, and uh, follow through the the first half hour of emails just to kind of get that 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 done with for the day. I usually, in another mental health tactic that help is I've been starting to try to meditate for 10 to 15 minutes in the morning, usually to the first barrage of emails. So maybe I should do that before that, thinking about that a little bit more. But, um, and then just, you know, get through the meetings. Like right now, I'm very much so focused on, on getting, you know, our seed round raised. We are, we're in the valley. Like I said last week, have a bunch of meetings this week. And so there's a lot of prep work to get to, uh, to the meeting stage, let alone all the follow up and the data room and the, you know, thousand things to do within that. And, uh, by the way, that this is another learning moment. I actually tried to do the product marketing and raise last fall when we did our kind of our seed round when we got out of Techstars and I failed miserably. So one of the things I learned during that process is raising is a full time job for a little while. Like if you don't have. Uh, or if you, you literally can't do multiple kind of value streams within that during that time. And so to that end, our CFO, Lee, by the way, another brilliant guy, he actually played in the NHL for a little while before he, uh, went over to Morgan Stanley and then loves the startup world. So is now a fractional at a, a bunch of different amazing firms. And so he's taken on kind of the, uh, ownership of product and, and marketing, to just like see those projects through to help me focus literally on fundraising right now. So that's our, that's our goal. And that's my, my day is a lot of just fundraising. And so getting connections, who's got the warm intros, how do I work my network to talk to these VCs? And to your earliest question, doing a literal Sandhill shuffle down to Sandhill Road and, uh, you know, enabling getting out the hustle and making it happen. And we've had. So many great conversations, and I'm I'm pretty confident we'll we'll get there. But it's a it's a full time job just to do that alone as a startup founder. And then your day right now is spent fundraising. You're up at eight thirty. You hit the caffeine, and then you do some meditation. Do you take a break in the evening over dinner? Because there's this from six to one is seven hours. That's a day into itself. Is that quiet time? What happens between then? Uh, it's a good question. I, I usually try to get out of the house a little bit uh, during that time when when I can. And, you know, COVID didn't allow for that a lot of times. But 
I love being outside. I, I got to get my Walden, you know, find my little green space and, and nature. But after that, yeah, I'm kind of back into email mode. And I, I think it's the technical side of me that's I've always been a night owl. You know, I think some of my best coding I've done at night and you just don't have any distractions. There's no Slack messages coming through, right? It's just you and your, uh, your podcast you're listening to and your code, you know, and I think that's probably conditioned me to be more on the night owl side of things, even on when I'm not directly into the code any longer. I'm more on the operations and management side. It's, I just find it to be a peaceful time to get that work done. And, you know, I usually start fading at a one or so or two or depending on the, the night, maybe a little later, but, um, that's, uh, yeah, you know, different people do different work effectively. And what one nice thing about having your engineering team in Vietnam is, you know, your the sun never sets on the legal Q empire, right? Like we have, uh, you know, the teams there and they're, they, they're really accommodating to the schedules, but also it's nice to have that time when I can communicate with them, you know, in real time with a question or something, and it doesn't have to have the, the day long kind of leg time with it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. You've dropped a lot of tips and information along the way in our conversation. Do you have, could you summarize three high percentage tips for fellow business owners out there? Yeah. So the first one in, by the way, I love this question. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And, uh, I think more people should distill these down into smaller bite sized pieces. But number one is get the information from your customers before you launch any kind of thing in your product. So one of the things that I did wrong early was overbuilt. There's probably 20, 25% of legal queues engineering effort today. That has been completely overbuilt. We didn't take any account of do customers want this feature? And if you, if you take that to the, the length of how much time that takes, you know, that's two months of development effort to find out that this feature isn't, is worthless. So get the customer feedback first and then build. Number two to your earlier question, don't ever have discounts as your first kind of, uh, point in in making the sale like use use um kind of a a try before you buy model use a discussion with them to say hey can i work with you on developing the product to get to the point where you would pay for this you know get that feedback get that understanding of where the pain points are and then your price point will be exactly where it needs to be and number three is to our point earlier is get some mental health help like use somebody that's a professional to truly help you on your journey because I wouldn't be here where I am today without that. And I think especially during the pandemic when everybody was at their wits end, let alone during a startup, you just need an outlet to talk to someone professionally. And I would highly recommend that every single person follow that journey too. Those are great tips for business owners and Never given, I don't think anybody's ever given the mental health one, which I think is possibly one of the most important ones. So thanks for doing that, Zeb. Where can people find LegalQ? Thank you, Brandon. Uh, LegalQ.io, uh, L-E-G-A-L-Q.io. And, uh, you know, if you're a user or need a legal question, we have a form on there. You can download the app. If you're an attorney, uh, we have an attorney page. You can check it out as well. And we'd love to, to chat. Well, thanks for coming on the show and pulling back the curtain 
really sharing true information and being, I don't know what to say, just candid with people that here's what's happening. Legal IQ is a great idea, giving people access to legal information and answers that they need that can be intimidating. So thanks a lot, man. I'm looking forward to following your journey. Thanks, Brandon. You've been a great host and uh, you just have a real easy way of having a conversation. And it it felt like uh, we were having coffee together. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Right on, man. Bye, everyone. Thanks for being generous with your time and joining us for this episode of The Edge. Before you go, a quick question. Are you the type of person who wants to get 100% out of your time, talent, and ideas? If so, you'll love our monthly Edge newsletter. It's a monthly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business. In each newsletter, we pull back the curtain on our business and show you exactly what's happening. The real numbers, real conversion rates, lessons learned from failed and successful strategies, and how we're investing the money we make from our business to outperform the general stock market. We lay out what we're doing to get 75% conversion rates on our product pages, how we're optimizing our Facebook, Instagram, and other paid ads to get our leads under $3.87, the results from our email A-B tests, results from strategies I test to get more done in less time. That allows me to ride my bike 100 plus miles a week, work out, spend time with Yvette, and still successfully run our business. How I'm investing the money we make from our business that has led our retirement account to average 20% over the last 10 years. The exact stocks, ETFs, cryptocurrencies, and other investments we're buying each and every month, and tons of other actionable information. Imagine the time and money you'll save by having this holy grail of business intelligence. You can take all of it, apply it to your life as an entrepreneur to avoid costly mistakes and be happier, healthier, and richer. As a fellow entrepreneur who's aiming for nothing short of success, you owe it to yourself to subscribe. Check out the special offer with bonuses for you as a listener at edgenewsletter.com. Again, that's E-D-G-E newsletter.com.